So today is uh, D-Day Memorial, right? Very good. I was in there. Huh? No, just stay there. Uh, I did a fifth grade play, and my part was to be like the last guy on the, um, the I forget, what's the memorial called? Yeah, the Raising of the Flag in Iwo Jima. And I had to say the, the script that talked about D-Day and hills of Montezuma and all that kind of stuff. And since then, I actually went and bought a World War II helmet at an Army uh, surplus store. I think Judah has it now. But from that point on, I was infatuated and in love with war, more or less being a warrior. So anyway, if ever there's a concern in your mind, if I've ever been a fan of World War II, there you have it. All right, so turn to Genesis 3 on that note. <coughs> okay. In <clears throat> on May twenty third, nineteen ninety eight, as I can always remember by the inside inscription of my ring, me and my wife were married. Um, yeah, that was a smart move on my wife's part. So we never forget our anniversary day. And be able to count the years. But when when we were married, um, you know, we had a lot of the same talks that many of you guys have had before you get married. What kind of house do you think we'll live in? What kind of people do you think we'll be? Uh, How many kids do you think we'll have? My vote was a minimum of six. Uh, Cass's was a maximum of two, I think, at that time. Uh, but there were a lot of hopes, a lot of dreams, and ways that we're trying to figure out or project how we were going to be as parents. And it's that same thing you guys have play around or go through your head. Well, when I'm a parent, I'm going to do this differently from what my mom and dad did. Until about three years into it, and you actually hear your mother or your father's voice coming out of your own mouth. And it is wild. It's freaky. Uh, particularly for me, when I'm upset and say something... The tone, the pitch, the angle, how it comes out my mouth, uh, kind of sideways, it's just like my dad. It's, it's, it's awesome. What I'm, what I'm trying to drive to is our hopes and aspirations of who we are now are derived from our parents. We inherited it from them. Well, one of the things that we inherited that is wonderful <laughs> is foolishness. Now, you would never think of your parents as being foolish like a five-year-old, but they were once five years old. Uh, I love growing up and hearing stories of my dad and his seven older brothers and how they all got along. Yeah, right. It was story after story of how each one was foolish and uh, deceiving one another and just playing tricks. It was hilarious. One thing the Word says... Is a folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the what? Rod. Rod of correction drives it far away. Now, who's a golf fan here? Uh, I've got two, maybe two. Who has ever seen the sport of golf? <laughs> there we go. Now we got some. Well, since the invention of golf, there's been a, a, a striving effort in technology to achieve a further and further drive. As a parent, there's been 
an ever-growing ability to try and get a further and further drive of that foolishness out of my children. I want to achieve the maximum distance <laughs> to get that foolishness away from them. So if I could have Michael and Natalie come stand up here. <laughs> They're great public speakers. Now, Natalie is mine. Michael is not. But let's just, let's just pretend they're both my children. Yes. <laughs> you look just like them. <laughs> now, Natalie, how old are you? Eight. Eight. Michael, how old are you? Uh, ten and a half. Ten and a half. Let's just say 10.624. <laughs> Round it off. Well, when if, if I were uh, or am parents of these guys, it's my responsibility to go through the word and use it as a primary source of that discipline. So foolishness is bound up in the heart of these children, but the rod of correction drives it far away. Now, correction can have many facets. What's some of the ways that you are corrected, Natalie? You sorry, say it real loud. She said a nice, gentle talk. <laughs> she said the belt <laughs> that's one extreme but one of the things that uh, God revealed to me and Cass and it, I think she may, Cass may have heard it on, on a radio program was that discipline includes discipleship so when we correct our children it has to result in instruction you guys ever remember your parents just kind of being angry and venting that anger out at your foolishness, oh, yeah. but not giving you a better thing or better way to do it? So I could say, Natalie, get those glasses off your head. Well, then where is she supposed to put them? Yeah. On the ground, just like that. Exactly. Case in point, that's why you guys stay in church. Okay, Natalie, pick up your glasses and keep them in your hand. That's correction with instruction. Are right, you guys going to sit back down? Thank you. I don't want to do that to you, Michael. <laughs> so in the same way, mankind first began with having instruction from God, actually a commission to subdue and multiply. But something kind of went awry. So everybody go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. <coughs> Whenever God set apart Adam, or I'm not set apart, but created Adam, he gave him a function. He gave him a task. How many of you in here feel honored, validated, and of worth whenever a task, especially one that includes great responsibility and risk, is handed over to you to take care of? In one way, it's daunting. It's heavy. In others, it's enlivening. There's uh, something to pursue. And when you achieve it, you feel like you've accomplished a great and mighty task. All right, let's keep reading. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Let me read that again. He, the Lord, brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So we actually have an Adam in our congregation. And imagine that he was the only person on planet Earth. God created him from the dust and said, Adam, that's not just, I want you to take care of this cricket. I'm going to bring before you every living creature. And whatever you call it, that's exactly what it's going to be. Daunting, heavy, but also invigorating and full of reward and accomplishment. And in one way, that's what we're all looking for. Looking for accomplishment. Some of us, when we give in to our sinful nature, will try to over-accomplish, to validate ourselves and not do what God has asked us to do. Others will sit back and do nothing because they're afraid of making a mistake in action. But God gave Adam a task. I'm going to bring every beast and creature before you, and you name it. He gave him direction. He also, one of the first things he said to him, you are free to eat of any tree in here. You are free to eat of any tree. If I walked, if you guys, let's see, ladies, good example. If you walked into DSW, and I said, you are free to get any pair of shoes you want in this store, except these two pairs. How invigorating and full of life would that be? We got an open checkbook to get any pair of shoes, as many as you want. In fact, Joy, I'm going to bring before you every pair of shoe, and I want you to name it. And whatever you call it, that's the name of the shoe. <laughs> Louis Vuitton has no hold on Joy Dang, because she is setting the pace for fashion. That would be awesome. However, something went wrong. <clears throat> Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, as you normally do on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, or from his side, and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from his side or from the rib he had taken out of the man, and brought he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Stop right there. Do you see Adam continuing in his function of naming Everything that God had created. God did not stand up and say, wait a minute, that's my job to name her. I made her. No. Adam was continuing in the realm, the protected realm of responsibility and authority that God had given him. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united or glued to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. 
Whenever God gives us something to do and we stay within that boundary and don't try to dress it up more or take away from it less, we are fully exposed in his presence, in his call, and we feel no shame. If there's ever anything that each and every one of you struggle with, it's, am I in God's will right now? Am I out of it? How do I determine it? Am I doing too little? Am I doing too much? But when you find that sweet spot of, ah, I know right now I'm in the exact place I'm supposed to be, you are fully exposed and vulnerable and open before the Lord, but you feel no shame. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? A little twisting of truth. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Do y'all see something added to that? You must not touch it. Did God say you must not touch it? You must not eat of it. Hmm. Verse 4. You will surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is what the, he's saying true? Not sure. Well, what happened when they ate of it? Did they become like God, knowing good from evil? Yes, they did. So was what the serpent, was what the devil was telling them true? Partial. But more or less, what was the intent? To separate, to defile what God had created. Now God had once again given Adam and therefore Eve the responsibility to subdue. He gave them all the creation, subdue, and then with his wife to multiply, but also within all his responsibilities to multiply. And as long as Adam and Eve stuck within those boundaries, they were fine. They were blessed. They felt no shame. But along comes a portion of truth with the intent to defile and they start to become confused. <coughs> Initially, or primarily, first Eve. But it's also Adam's responsibility as well. Let's continue on. Verse 6. For when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, you have a pen, you know, underline that and put a number one, and pleasing to the eye, two, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. So when we have potluck today, we will see stuff that's good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. I guess like, you know, New Year's Eve, you eat black eyed peas and, and what is it? Cabbage, right? Good luck and everything else. I'm just trying to tie something to it that's very natural that we can relate to. How many times have you run across a situation that looks desirable to consume? 
that you can see when you're you consume this item, whether it be to pursue doing this or to go buy that. Whatever it is, your actions, the result of your actions, meet all three of these criteria. Good for consumption, pleasing to your eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. We run into that every single day. We turn on the TV, bam, it's there. Ads are centered around these three core principles. But one thing that the devil began to instill, his intent to defile, was based on a fear. A fear of, there's something out there that I don't have, and I, I think I need it. Let's go back and read in verse, uh, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But the first part's really catchy. For God knows that when you eat of it. When we're put in that position of, oh, there's something that's part, that's, I see part of God's will at work in someone else's life. It's not at work in mine. I think I need to do that too. I think I need to obtain their call or mimic what they're doing because that's, that's going to make me better. That's going to give me secret access to something that's hidden within God. I must go outside the boundaries that God has given me to get what is truly a godly uh, element. Have you ever felt that before? That's what temptation is. Temptation wants to bring you further than what God's boundaries have already set up. Now, without these four walls and really a concrete pad, we're just in an open field, how would you really know what our meeting room size was? There is a clear and definite boundary here in this wall. There's a clear and definite boundary here in this wall. I have a beginning and I have an end. I have a defined space to move about in. Let's relate that back to the Word. Everybody turn to Psalms 119, verse 11. Cody, read it for us. Yeah. <coughs> Out loud. Uh, yeah. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise to, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. The first part of that, I hide your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Last night in our meeting at our home, John taught on the three schools of uh, Hebraic school. And the first one, being comparable to our elementary school, the first day of school, they have a slate uh, like chalkboard that they, they write on. And it's covered with honey. And as they would write God's word, as they were see, they saw it written in uh, their Torah, they would put their finger in the honey and begin to taste it. I mean, that's irresistible for a kid. You get chocolate on their finger, they're not going to wipe it on the seat. 
they'll wipe their broccoli and stuff on the seat, but they won't wipe chocolate. They're going to eat that. Well, same thing with the honey. They would begin to write God's word on that slate in the honey, and they would eat it. And the association was that God's word was sweet, something to be consumed. It was delightful. Psalms 119.11, I hide your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Did Eve do a very good job of hiding God's word in her heart? Did Adam do a very good job? Ah, that's them. That's a far, far away land and far, far away place and time. Now, let's turn the mirror to you, the individual. How well do you hide God's word in your heart so that you will not sin against him? God's word is the clear and definite boundary of here's as far as you go. Here's the limitation of authority and responsibility that I give to you. This is where you stay within it. Experiencing Jesus' power at a young age is wonderful. I did at the age of 16. I think Eric at 17 or 18. We knew that at one point we were going to do something big and awesome for Jesus. That despite what I sounded like and played like then on the guitar, that eventually I was going to lead worship. Despite, you know, uh, Eric's uh, ability to, to be very uh, gifted in or oration, but not have the opportunity, that one day he was going to get the opportunity to be able to speak and pastor. We knew that God was birthing in us something that was to come. But what we constantly struggled with was when do we do it? Yes, God has put this in me. But Jesus, what are your boundaries for my life right now? I'm sick and tired of working at a car dealership. I'm sick and tired of working for an electric company. I want to be this, what you've called me to be. Jesus kept saying, nope. Where you're at right now is where I want you. You be a worship leader in your workplace. You be a, a pastor. You be a preacher in your workplace. Bloom where you're planted. Operate within the boundaries that God has given you and enjoy them, love them, embrace them because they are your protection. The minute that I or Eric would begin to move outside of those boundaries and pursue our own call or what we thought was God's goodness, our ability to obtain something that God had for ourselves, we begin to find ourselves no longer vulnerable and exposed before God and without shame. It was just the opposite. That's where Adam and Eve eventually fell into. It is now clothed with an external garment and full of shame. I want to show you all something about sin in the Word, in the very first account. Let's read down. Verse 7, the, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. Did anything change with them physically? Their perception or understanding of the situation changed. Huh? More down. I like more up. I like it right here. Really with the label out front. Is that good? Thank you, baby. <laughs> That's my helpmate right there. <laughs> I'll put it down. I deal with uh, preventive maintenance for facilities. And one thing that's hard for people to really grasp 
is electricity. Now, we have it all around us. We use it every single day. We depend on it for life and sustainability. But everyone knows as soon as it goes out, they can understand the tangible effect of it. But on a day-to-day use, it, it really does get put in the back corner of everyone's mind until it stops. Uh, most people who take care of facilities uh, have to deal with what they call hot and cold calls. So certain offices where it has particular people in it of the uh, female nature that fluctuate with body temperature. Careful, and careful. one will say, <laughs> one will say, well, it's hot in here. And the cubicle next to him, oh, it's freezing to death. And so anyway, what I'm saying is the majority of people that take care of facilities have to deal with more of the individual's uh, comf- uh, comfort, their, their temperature comfort. But when I come in and say, look, you're in business to make money, not to be a charity, most of them. So in order for you to make money, you need your electricity on. If you have a fire inside of your breaker panel or anything that disrupts your operation, you're going to lose so much money per hour. And it's sometimes, a lot of times it's very hard to get someone who's over a facility to understand of the potential dangers that are there. And when we go through, we do our inspections, and I bring them the report every single time, you know, their eyes are just open. And they realize that their condition was vulnerable and it was exposed to danger. Nothing changed. We just discovered and opened their eyes to the pre-existing condition. When you guys ride in an airplane, it's probably not wise for the, the pilot to come on board and say, our number four engine is having trouble and it may fail, we may crash to the ground. It's better if he just keeps that under wraps and lets you figure it out when the plane begins to descend. <laughs> and you see those little bags drop. So the, my, my point is getting to is a lot of times we are very innocent of what's going on around us. And unless God is moving you to a place to research or dive into something deeper, you don't. Stay within the boundaries that he is giving you. Perfect example within church life, right? You see somebody meeting with Eric inside of his office, and there seems to be tension or distraught and there are tears. Unless Jesus really speaks to you a word to share that may add to that situation, you don't really need to pursue to find out exactly what's going on. That's not your responsibility. That's not your authority. And it's not going to benefit you or that other person when it's said and done. Now, if that person in that office or Eric or I decide to bring you in because we think you have something to, to, to contribute, that Jesus is trying to add that will help bring life to the situation, that's perfectly fine. But if you begin to seek out knowledge that really isn't something that Jesus is pointing you to about someone else, you're pursuing something outside of God's boundaries. And you're, here's the key that I'm trying to drive home is that you're reaching up on that forbidden tree and you're deciding for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And the whole title of this message is put the fruit back on the tree. If only Eve or Adam would have stopped and said, wait a minute, let me remember God's word. Let me use his standard, his ability to determine what's right and wrong, 
And I will make my decision based on God's word, not my ability to reason or anything else. Every time I personally, Matthew Piro, gets in trouble, it's when I have decided to determine what's right and what's wrong for myself outside of God's word. When you use God's word, you are putting that fruit back on the tree. You're not consuming something that is forbidden, something that God did not entrust to you. And how much more blessed is it whenever you experience God's awesome freedom to do whatever it is that he has called you to do within his guidelines and whenever you stay within his boundaries and depending on him to decide for you what's right and what's wrong. In my early years of walking with Jesus, I, I thought, you know, some other people thought I was going crazy. This, this one girl I dated, and it wasn't Cassidy, uh, she said, you mean to tell me that you even asked Jesus where you need to go grocery shopping? I said, yes. So that's what being led by the Spirit is. She said, well, that's silly. You can buy groceries anywhere. I said, yeah, that's true. I said, but just so happens that I ran into a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in five years and witnessed to him. And that it had to be timely. It wasn't coincidence. It was timely. I was walking down this aisle. He was walking down this one. And we intersected right then and there. Every part of your life, no stone unturned, belongs to Jesus. And he is seeking the opportunity to give you the understanding of his ability to determine what's right and what's wrong. Now, no, we're not robots. I'm not controlled by Jesus that to the point where I'm not making decisions on my own in the, in the way that uh, it just makes me not a person. No, just like Adam and Eve, he gave them the ability. You choose. I'm putting this in front of you. I give you my terms. I give you my guidelines. I'm depending on you to obey them. That's no different than you having the Bible right in front of you and God's spirit within you. It's up to you whether you not whether or not you want to obey. It's up to you whether or not you're going to dive into God's word and let it consume you and hide it in your heart so that you won't sin against him. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Wow. Adam fasted and prayed. He knew exactly what scriptures I was going to go through. <laughs> Alright, Adam, since you're there, why don't you read it out loud for us? 4, uh, 12. Um, yeah, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In the situation with Adam and Eve, if they would have recounted what God's word said, immediately it would have done this very thing. It would have separated truth from lie, because those two things can blend very well at times. And it would have judged the attitudes and thoughts of Eve's and Adam's heart. And then the byproduct is then to know how to properly proceed from that point forward. 
first part, God's word is living and active. Does it jump around when it's put down on your desk? Because it's living and active? No. Meaning that in every situation, I don't care what it is, the answer is inside of his word. I don't care what it is, it's there. Now, more than likely, I guarantee you this afternoon, I will be put in a situation that I think is totally obscure, that there is no answer in the Bible for it, and I will be challenged by my own words that I'm saying to you this morning and have to stop and say, wait a minute, I told them there's nothing (laughs) that can't be solved uh, within God's word, using it as a standard. One simple thing, when Paul wrote, I think it's in uh, 2 Corinthians about giving, he uses a um, part of the one of the, the commandments or mitzvahs of the law as an understanding of how to treat ministers when they come to their city, how the people were to treat ministers when they come to their city as far as uh, tithe and offering. He says, do not muzzle an ox while it treads the grain. Something that one small scripture very short, but incredibly powerful, and gave Paul at that point in time the insight to share with the congregation of how to treat people who are bringing the gospel and good news and revelation of God's word to them. Because one thought that would be good would be, well, you know what? I'm going to save up this money, and I'm going to go buy food for the homeless down the street. I'm going to save up what God has required me to give, and go do something else that's very good for it. Yes, that action is good in and of itself. But is that what God has spoken to you to do? No. Um, whenever Jesus was in the desert and tempted, he used uh, basically an encyclopedia-sized scriptures to combat the devil, right? No. What did he use? A verse. A single verse. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And essentially, that one verse captures everything that we're talking about this morning. You are not to live by just natural substance or your ability to reason alone, but you derive your life, your ability to sustain life, Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's go to uh, 2 Peter. Should be right around the corner. Hebrews. There. 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 Somebody tell me, how do you build a brick building? What's that, Elizabeth? One brick at a time. You a smart girl. That's how you eat elephant food. One brick at a time. One brick at a time? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Second Peter chapter 1. Show me, um, how about not? But just maybe nod your head. Has anyone ever in here ever been given a task that was above your head and you felt you were incompetent to accomplish. I thought I would get a pretty good response out of that. Now, 
Some of you may apply that to work scenarios, family scenarios, or uh, anything Jesus has given you to do. But more spe specifically, let's just say something easy as reading the Word, being able to study for a Bible study. Some, in some cases, uh, including myself, you're not naturally gifted in that. And there has to be some training. There has to be some exercise. The first time I spoke uh, was at King's Harvest. It was in 1997. And within a small Bible study, I would do great. Maybe four or five people. I felt very confident. The word flowed. Everything made sense. I could see what I was uh, teaching and where it was going. I got in front of a crowd about like this and froze. Every thought in my mind just literally went to a complete halt. And it, it would have been good if I would have said, um, that was a word. <laughs> Not even a word came out of my mouth and I just froze. I felt so incompetent. But praise God, I was surrounded by men of God that encouraged me and gave me more opportunities. I did, I did the same thing with worship too. So led a small group. I got to the first song and forgot every line. Well, that still happens now. But <laughs> I just froze. But 2 Peter 1, verse 3, was my go-to, has always been my go-to, of where I derive my abilities to fulfill what God has given. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us, by his own glory and goodness. Now, if you need to, and I encourage you to, write that scripture on a card, and where it has us, put your name. So, for instance, I could say, his divine power has given Cody everything he needs for life and godliness. And the list goes on and on and on. If you are staying within God's boundaries, adhering to his word that he has given you, there is absolutely nothing you are deficient in. There's no task that you cannot accomplish or do whatsoever. We are the ones that stand in the way of what God has called us to do the most. It's not our family. It's not our neighbors. It's not our work. It's us. Because when that happens, when we let external things dictate what we determine as right and wrong, we're going right back to that garden and we're choosing for ourselves what's right and wrong. Now initially you may have got the impression that it's us, the individual, deciding I think this is right and I think this is wrong. But it's equally the same matter when I let other things outside of God's word and God's spirit tell me what's right and what's wrong. The word is always the source to filter and to gain understanding. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Wouldn't you say that's what Adam and Eve fell into? And that's what we inherited? For this very reason, what very reason? Corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So, Brandon Fowler, when you were born again, it was because somebody gave you a card and you filled out your name, put your address, and you were sealed deal into Jesus, right? Absolutely. No. Faith or trust rose up in Brandon's heart, and he trusted Jesus to be his Lord, his Savior, and his everything. Now, he that had that one experience and then just continued on his life and didn't do anything else, would that be good enough? No. And this is exactly why. Peter says, add to your faith, what? Somebody tell me. Goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. knowledge. And to knowledge, and to self-control, perseverance. If, it, if you guys are anything like me, I, I have a sniper mentality. I like one shot, one kill. When I tell my children something, I really want to say it one time ever, and there are my life. I said pick up those clothes, and then they're to remember that forever and ever and ever. I know them, but more importantly, I know me all too well. I need a constant reminder. The thing that helps get God's word ingrained inside of you is having to stand on it for a long period of time. And that's what perseverance is. It's to preserve your current state. Not a sinful state. Your current state of being in God's will, in God's kingdom, in his joy, in the fruit of the Spirit, primarily in His Word. All right, and to perseverance, and to godliness, and to brotherly kindness, love. That's quite a list, right? And each one of these, like that brick building, get built one item at a time. And also like the building, kind of get some analogy in here, you can have many facets, many different walls, angles, colors, types. So if you ever you find yourself clinging to that one scripture, and for instance, his divine power has given us everything we need. Trust me, give it a few months, and Jesus is going to put you in a scenario that challenges that same insecurity that you overcame, but in a different way. When I was single, there were challenges that I overcame. And I use God's word to do it. But you know what? The minute I got married, it got, became a totally different dynamic. Yeah. No longer was I dealing with my own sinful nature and thoughts. I was now responsible for somebody else's. And I had to encourage them in a way that edified them, in a way they could connect and understand. I have absolutely no problem saying to myself, Matt, shut your mouth. But to say that to my wife is a little bit different. <laughs> I don't get the same result. <laughs> <laughs> I get slapped. Well, slapped with a closed hand. Now you throw into that children. I got four girls. Every single one of them are different. I can say one one thing to one of them, and Natalie's got such a sweet and tender heart that usually I can say something to her with just my words and remind her, and she does great. That's a twig. She's led easily with a twig. I got others that need a two by four. <laughs> and consequently, a body of believers is no different. It's absolutely no different. 
But I understand and I appreciate all four of the different personalities that God has given me and my children. I understand to get God's word impressed in them, enable to enable them to hide it in their word so they won't sin against God or me. That I have to say it and do it a different way. And I have to learn and figure out who they are. And being a pastor is the exact same way. It's my responsibility to understand who you are, what makes you tick. Not to please you, not to do what's comfortable for you, to challenge you a lot of times, but find out what's going to press that button that makes it stick. How many times have we got to do this and go through it? It'll, it'll get there. We'll be persistent with it. But how do each and every one of you function? And what do you need to grow and become the man or woman of God that you're supposed to be? Let's keep reading. For if you possess these qualities in an average measure, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whoever aspires to be ineffective and unproductive. However, the pursuit to be comfortable will bring you exactly to this point. The pursuit to idle and just coast in God's kingdom and not be challenged, not be pushed, not experience danger or harsh words will bring you to the point of being ineffective and unproductive. Because it's in those challenging and hard times, in those uncomfortable situations, that you have to put to use every characteristic that's listed above it. It forces you to bear that fruit off the tree, the meaning of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's see, number verse 9. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Uh, that's a dangerous place to be. And I know there are times in my own life, that some, some of you may be able to identify with, that the devil clouds you with so many thoughts and so many feelings of events that are happening in your life that you have this feeling of, why did I leave Egypt anyway? It's a split-second thought. I'd be lying to say if that never happened and went through my mind. I'm sitting here suffering, and I'm watching my neighbor across the street who's lost as a day is long have a blessed life. But here I am suffering. I'm eating manna and occasionally eating on quail, sitting in the hot desert, and they're lapping it up in the luxury of Egypt. I guarantee you, every single one of you face that. You deal with it. But when you hold fast and realize that verse 3 begins with His divine nature is able to enable you to do anything that there is. And that you, He is trying to add to you every facet that He lists, beginning with trust and ending in love. That will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Because what God has called Jorge and Irma to, what God has called 
Fred and Suzanne and every person in this building and ever in the kingdom of God is to be just the opposite. Is to be effective and productive. In the book of John, I think 15, every branch that he's talking about that does not bear fruit, what happens to it? Cut off. Cut off. And then burn. Burn into a fire. But every branch that does bear fruit, what happens to it? It's pruned. Have you ever, guys, have you ever seen pruning of, of fruit trees or trees or bushes in, in, in general? The difference between a limb being pruned and cut off can sometimes be a matter of less than an inch. It'll come so close, bring you to that point of being vulnerable, being naked and exposed, having nothing to show for your works and feeling like you're cut off from the actual vine itself, from Jesus. But in, indeed what he's doing is removing everything that was hindering you from being ineffective and unproductive wow. so that you can regrow and bear fruit for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, uh, I really love this Second Peter 1. Take it, share it with somebody this week. Share it with someone. Pour out his word in someone else's life and increase it in your own. Y'all see God's kingdom grow. Let's stand up. Mighty Jesus, Lord, we love you, and we love you to the point of letting go of our own life, letting go of our own abilities to decide what is right and what is wrong. And we trust in you, Lord God, to show us every step of the way and not our own ability to determine that. We give you every part of our life, Jesus, and every day and every hour and every second. And we thank you, Lord God, for always taking care of us and coming through. We put our trust in you, mighty God. And ahead of time, we bless the awesome food that everyone has contributed. And uh, we ask that you bless the fellowship as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.